The general theme during these six weeks is guided to the cross. On Ash Wednesday, guided to the cross, for there you will find forgiveness in a way that can never be explained. It is not one man forgiving another man on the cross. It is God forgiving his children. It is God literally forgiving his children at the cost of his own son. Last week, Pastor Sauer spoke on the theme, Guided to the Cross, for there you shall find hope. You look at the cross and there you shall find hope. And I'm just talking about the thief on the cross, who on his cross, looking to the guy next to him on the cross, found a hope that he never thought would be his. He never imagined that being on that cross would provide a hope for him pertaining to everlasting life. That just would not happen. But it did. The cross guiding us to hope, us realizing that no matter what goes on in this life of ours, no matter what circumstance goes on in our life, because of that cross, there is always the hope that the one in us is stronger than the one in the world's. There is always the hope that in the midst of the storm, he's with us in the storm and he's already overcome it. And he points you always to the victory the cross enabled us to have because it was a victory it enabled him to have. But this week it is not hope and it is not forgiveness. This week guided to the cross, for there you shall find love If you want to find God's power, you don't look at a cross. You want to find God's power, you look at creation. Romans 1.20, since the creation of the world, the invisible qualities of God have been clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, namely his divine nature and his eternal power. Why did Paul write that? Because even in those days, there were people who said, I don't believe in God. And the Apostle Paul said to them 2,000 years ago, how can you not believe in God? Someone had to have made all of this. And it's the same argument that we use. If you want to see God's power, you do not go to the cross. You go to creation. But if you want to see his love, then you go to the cross. I love the epistle lesson for today. Very rarely will one man die for another man, though a righteous man, someone might dare to die. But God showed his what? God showed his power? No. God showed his love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I've always had difficulty with the verse. Very rarely will someone die for someone else, though for a righteous man, someone might dare to die. I don't think that's going to happen. I think it should be worded this way. Very rarely will one man die for another man, though for a child, a parent would willingly die. Here's a child with a terminal illness. Here's a child with brain cancer. Here's a child with some illness. And the parent leans over that child and says, I would give anything to be able to exchange my life for yours. I will go anything if we could switch places. That would help me make more sense of that verse. 
Very rarely will one man die for another man, though for one's child, one would willingly give up their life. God showed his love for us in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died. Why did God give up his child? Here is Jesus. Why did God give up his child? Because we're all his children. And God said, I will give up my child, the Son of God, so that all of the rest of my children, whom I love, can be saved. You look at the cross, and you see God's love. He can make a comment. Jesus can make a comment. I got the hairs on your head all numbered. He can make the comment, a sparrow doesn't fall to the ground without God knowing it. But you're of more value than many sparrows. But can you show me your love, Jesus? Well, look at all the, uh, look at all the miracles I did. That shows my love. Can you show me your ultimate love? And that's where you do, as the video indicated, that's where you and I look at the cross. Jesus spoke 43 parables. Whenever he spoke a parable at that precise moment in time, he was speaking it for a particular purpose. Maybe it was for the scribes and the Pharisees. Maybe it was for his own 12 disciples. Maybe it was for 10,000 people gathered on the hillside. When he spoke a parable, it was specifically for an event that was going on at that time. Of the 43 parables he spoke, there were three that are greater than any of the others. One of them is the parable of the prodigal son. You say it's about forgiveness indeed, but it is about love. It's about a father who never stopped loving his son. And when that son came back to him, the father embraced the child. That parable is about forgiveness, but forgiveness is all wrapped up in love. The cross is all about forgiveness, but it is forgiveness wrapped up in one concept, and that is the love of God. John 3.16, how is it worded? God so desired to show his power that he sent his only begotten son? No. God so desired to show his love that he sent his only begotten son. Second most famous parable, most important one, is that one of the Good Samaritan. I want you to listen to the context. Luke chapter 10, on one occasion an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. He said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, what is written in the law? How do you understand it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus said, do this and you will live. But the teacher of law asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? He didn't ask him, how do I show love? He didn't ask him, how do I show love? Can you explain it to me? He doesn't ask that question because he didn't care. Who's my neighbor? Are you kidding me? Jesus is talking about love, and the guy tries and gets him off the track. 
who's my neighbor? And Jesus smiled, and he's going to kill two birds with one stone. He said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to go down the road. He saw the man. He passed by on the other side. A Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. When he saw him, he took pity on him. He bandaged his wounds. He poured on oil and wine. He put the man on his donkey. He took him to an inn. He took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him. When I return, I will reimburse any extra expense you may have. And then Jesus asked a question. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law, and this was the word Jesus wanted to come out of his mouth. The expert in the law said, the one who showed mercy, the one who showed love. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. You go and do likewise. You show love. Stop the nonsense. Who's my neighbor? Don't get me into an argument about who's my neighbor to try and avoid what you're supposed to do. And he lays out the whole story. Here's what love is. And the most important parable that Jesus ever spoke was the last one that came out of his mouth. Matthew 25, parable of the sheep and the goats. You hear it from me three or four times in the course of a year. He said to those on his right-hand side, come and inherit the kingdom. They said, we don't deserve it. He said, yeah, you do. They said, why do we deserve it? He said to them, because you did what I asked you to do. Matthew 5, 16, Sermon on the Mount, start of his ministry. Let your light so shine before men. Doesn't say that they must see your glory. Doesn't see that so that they can see how wealthy you are. Doesn't say so they can see the power you have. Let your light so shine before men that they may see the goodness and the love coming out of you. And they will give glory not to you, but to God. Because he sent you. And when they saw the goodness coming out of you, whatever form it took, they ended up thanking God because they knew who had brought you. Come inherit the kingdom because you actually did what I asked you to do. You showed love. And I always go through this with you, and it's important. You fed the hungry. We're not just talking about feed my starving children. Why do we have 700 people in the gymnasium when we're gathering food to feed my hungry children? Because we understand that concept, and it touches our heart, that there are children all over the world who maybe have one good meal every three or four days, and here we're able to help. I had a lady tell me last week that she drove by McDonald's and there was a homeless person sitting there by the front and asking for some help. 
She went home and she baked him a meal, came back half hour later, gave him the meal. Feed the hungry indeed, because there's hungry people all over the world. But is that where hunger stops? Not hardly. Betty Brower's husband has died. Karen Bowden's husband has died. There's been far too many funerals once again. And many of these funerals are spouses. Lee Burnett sitting there. And when that happens in someone's life, you never, never, never understand unless it's happened to you. Your spouse, your friend has been there for so long in your life, and all of a sudden they're not there. There was a period of time, I've told you before, in the last six weeks, I didn't think Connie was going to be here much longer. And all of a sudden, it's creeping into my mind and heart, what will that be like? And I try and stop by the houses of widows and widowers within a month after they've lost a loved one. And when I walk into that home, there is a hunger, there is a thirst, there is a nakedness. There is a prison called grief in that home. And those individuals who have lost that spouse or that friend or that child, they live through that. That's the hunger that he's talking about. Renee Cruz, next door neighbor, their entire house burned down. All the pictures, all the memories, all the clothes... Everything in that house devoured by the flames. Are they hungry? No, there's a lot of people bringing them food. There's a lot of people bringing them clothes. But is their hunger and their thirst and their nakedness far deeper than that? Indeed it is. And those are the ones that God asks us to go to. You're in high school. You notice a person in the locker next to you. You notice that every week she looks a little bit sadder, her eyes a bit darker, her shoulders a bit more stooped. And then maybe, just maybe, there's enough love and compassion to ask her, can you tell me what's going on? And she'll mention the fact that her mom has cancer. She mentioned the fact that they're going through a divorce. Or she'll mention the fact that her dad has lost his job. Do you understand what hunger is? A crazy teacher of the law. He says, who's my neighbor? Are you kidding me? When he said, love God and love your neighbor, who's my neighbor? I'm surprised Jesus didn't just snort and walk away from him. It's not who your neighbor is. It's what is love. What is love? I revisited the love of this congregation during Connie's illness. It reminded me of John's illness some 15, 19 years ago. What came out of this place? Love. Love. If you are blessed with family and friends, what comes from them when you're hungry and you're naked and you're thirsty and you're in the prison of grief or doubt or fear, you come. I visited Bob and Cosette last week. Hadn't seen them in a few months. 
he had a knee surgery that went terribly wrong. And I stopped by their house. I visited for about an hour. And the next week, I got a card in the mail. And she wrote, Bob and I so appreciate your visit. They always seem to be at just the right moment. God knows when we're really struggling, and he sends his angel. That's who you are. When someone is hungry or thirsty or naked, you don't ask, who's my neighbor? (laughs) You don't say, well, I don't know him very well. You don't say, well, that's a complete stranger. I, I shouldn't get involved. That's what the teacher of the law did. When God brings someone across your path into your mind or heart, and I dare say I can only hope and pray that 10 of you listening online or sitting here, that 10 of you will go home this afternoon and you'll either drive by someone's house or you call them on the phone. You'll do something this afternoon because you know that person that God has put in your mind and heart. You know that there is a hunger and a thirst and a loneliness in their life. And I pray that this afternoon you just might make that visit or make that phone call that you might be that angel. I was so touched by that note, so touched by it. God knows when someone's struggling and he sends his angel. Guided to the cross, for that is where you find love. Great philosopher once wrote, Love is so profound that the blind can see it. Bartimaeus could not see Jesus, but he saw the love that came out of Jesus when he was healed. The lepers had lost feeling in their hands and legs because of the course of the disease. But love is so profound that the crippled can feel it. Jesus said to the crippled man, just get up and walk. Love is so profound that the deaf can hear it. The deaf people in the Bible that Jesus healed, they couldn't hear a single word that Jesus said. Maybe they were reading his lips. But when he healed them, they could hear love. 1 John 4.10, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. Doesn't stop there. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the satisfaction for our sin. Closing word. The great historian John Woodbridge, in the book written by Lee Strobel, Case for Faith, That historian said, We historians have long marveled over the amazing speed with which Christianity grew and spread throughout the Roman Empire, despite brutal persecution. Woodridge said, Part of the reason for that rapid spread, historians have remarked, the early Christians were such kind people. The very love of the Christians and their service to the poor 
and the downtrodden attracted countless many who wanted to follow the Master. Christians astonished the ancient world with their kindness. They not only took care of their own, but they were caring for neighbors, the poor, the widows, the hurting, children, babies, invalids, crippled, diseased, were left outside the city gates of Rome at night to be devoured by wild animals. But the Christians would go out and they would bring into their own homes those who were cast aside. Their willingness to die for their faith, their compassionate lifestyle, and the love that emanated from them. That is why Christianity spread so rapidly in those first hundred years. The question you and I have is not, who's my neighbor? If you go home this afternoon and God has put someone in your head and all of a sudden you start saying, eh, I don't really know him that well. If God puts someone in your head and heart at this moment right now and you go home and you think about it and say, well, you know, they're, they're going through the death of, you know, he's going through the death of his wife. You know, I don't know what to say. It'd be so awkward if I knocked on the door or went over there. Don't you dare do that. The question is not, who is my neighbor? Jesus' point is, whoever God puts in your path that you can extend his love to, that is what you and I are to do on this earth. Be his angel this afternoon in someone's life. And when you go to high school tomorrow, and that person in the locker next to you. You reach out to them. If ever you want to talk, here I am. Not who's my neighbor, but how can I show his love to them? In our Savior's name, amen. Bill Lupke is sitting here. I got a phone call three days ago. And the man said, you wouldn't believe it. I'm, I'm sitting here in the hospital. My mom's here in the hospital. My dad's with me. And I got a phone call from the prayer chain, Bill being the person. He said, you know, Bill Lipke called, just called me. <laughs> and he said, you know, I don't know what's going on, but can I have a prayer with you? And he said, I told Bill, I'm sitting here in the hospital. My mom's here. My dad's here. And Bill said, can I have a prayer with you? And he said, absolutely. And that man said to me, is one of the most divine moments I've ever had on this earth. It's one of the most divine moments I've ever had on this earth. There's no such thing as a little act of kindness. A smile that a person remembers two years later. A prayer, unexpectedly. There's never such a thing as a small act of kindness. Because any act is prompted by love. That love comes from God. In his name, amen. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.